The year is 1964. Albert DeSalvo, the Boston Strangler, confesses to killing 13 women in a period of two years without ever once committing a forced entry. The U.S. Surgeon General reports that smoking might lead to lung cancer, but that doesn't stop the man with no name to smoke nearly every time you see him on the silver screen. GameZillaMedia.com It's time for the last action podcast! Pop quiz, hot shot! Hey, motherfucker. I feel the need for need for Please, you can kill it. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Last Action Podcast. I am the one, the only, Sphinx, and breathing while I was talking... What were you doing? It was like a strained breath. Did you hear yourself? It was like a... Like you're no, taking I a shit. I don't think that was me. <laughs> what, that, who else was it? I don't know. Let me check the other... No, all the other mics are off. Was, I don't know, man. Was, was, it, was, was it Steven making a, a surprise visit all of a sudden? It was, it was the hamburger. <laughs> it was the hamburger? Yeah. Nonetheless, it is the one and the only LPJ. Yeah, I'm like the man with a name, not the man with no name. Yeah. that That's me, LPJ. I, I, I have a name. It's LPJ. Uh, actually, all of us have a, have a name, except for the man with no name. Exactly. Who is what we're who is who we're going to talk about today? That's true. Today we are doing a fistful of dollars. Um, the first true American successful spaghetti western uh, that we see. Now the movie is made in 1964 uh, in Italy. However, it doesn't make it to the United States until 1967. So there is that kind of three-year period there, which we'll talk about why there's that three-year gap a little bit later. But I think what makes this, this, there's a lot to say about this movie and whether you liked it or not, you know, I was going to go through all of that as well. Um, I, you know, it is, this film is a co-production between three different countries and their producers. So this film had backing in Italy in Spain and in Western Germany. There are unique roles from all three of those countries in making this movie come alive, which is pretty cool, pretty unique, especially when we're talking, you know, Cold War 1960s and all that. Obviously, like those countries, well, actually, those countries aren't all friends because Spain, you've got a dictator in Francisco Franco that is uh, in charge until I think 75 or whatever. So it's unique that this is going on. You know, I can't. Are, are there any other movies that you know of that have several countries being such an active role in it? I can't. Of of that time? No. Well, I, I'd even say of this time. Well, I mean, if you look at, um, like, Skyscraper. Well, you mean just the fact that they used Vancouver, or? No, it was it was partially, I think that I think it was partially Chinese, uh, Chinese money as well. Was it? Yeah, I think it was that along oh. with, along with the Rocks production company. All right. Then maybe it is a little bit more something that happens today than, than, than I thought. I don't know. I don't know either. Nonetheless, um, I think we're going to start today by talking and finding out a little bit about Westerns in general. So we have, we, we've talked about Westerns because so many of the directors 
And a lot of the films that we've talked about throughout this podcast have been influenced by them. But this is actually the first time we've done a Western movie. A true Western. Yeah, a true Western. So I guess LPJ, like what what are your thoughts or experiences with Western, Western films or, or just being aware of that these things exist? I always knew Westerns existed, and that was because um, when I was growing up, my dad and my uncle would watch a lot of westerns together. Ninety percent of them were black and white. I don't. I, in fact, I don't even know that I've I had ever seen a color western up until, like, watching Young Guns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also had a black and white television in my room when I was six, and on TV twenty they would show westerns sometimes, yeah. and th- I would always change the channel um, <laughs> because I found them to be very very boring, and I just didn't get it. I don't. And in general, I don't like classic westerns. I like films like Tombstone and Young Guns and, you know, yeah. stuff like that. But but the classic spaghetti westerns were never my thing. Okay. I know for me, I I don't know. It's just, I I just remember being a kid, like, dressing up like a cowboy, pretending I was one out in the Wild West... And, you know, the way that I would act and the way I would play and having guns and bandanas and fake horses and cowboy boots and hats and all that kind of stuff. I know that it all came from these movies, but, you know, I wasn't watching them when I was a kid, but that was still like, you know, the traditional, like being in the backyard and playing, you know, cowboys and Indians, you know, was, was the way that, you know, I, I guess I, I don't know, was was a part of what Westerns are trying to do, which is trying to show the outlawing of the frontier and, and how that life was fantasized, I guess, because it's in reality, it, it really wasn't always like the OK Corral and, you know, White Earp was a real person. And then there's things of that nature. But I don't know. It's always something that as a kid, I've always kind of like fantasized about i don't know if that's like the right term but but it kind of is and i think too like like it might even be something like looney tunes that made me aware of like like yeah like yosemite sam and you know like bugs bunny that would have you know you know that some of the episodes would be you know them out west and i think even of like like city slickers was a movie i liked as a kid which was weird and i loved back to the future and even though the third one is now not a great one as an adult still as a kid i loved it you know there's just all of these different pieces of this western landscape that has always been a part of my life well but the influence is undeniable yeah i mean this this the things you see in specifically this movie mm-hmm. are everywhere now. Yeah. In every format, in every genre, comedy, action, sci-fi, they all have elements of this movie in it. So it, you you can't you can't not be aware of these films. Yeah. Just because everything else is are, is is making you aware of these films. Mhm. Yeah, it's just it's that western adventure that I I've always had an interest in like even like my wife and I like my my favorite trips that we take is when we go out west and you know we like to do the national parks and all that and being able to see even though this movie was filmed in Spain but for a lot of movies you know that were done that are westerns being out there 
And, you know, we, we talked about how there's a lot of movies that we've talked about that have had the influence, like Broken Arrow and things of that nature. So, I don't know. I was getting back to it. Like, I have never seen any of the movies from this trilogy. So, you know, this is known as the Man with No Name trilogy, which are three Clint Eastwood movies. Fistful of Dollars is first, followed by For a Few Dollars More, and then The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, which, I mean, those are names that everyone is aware of. And, it, you know, those are always movies that I have known of, but I've never actually, honestly, sat down and, and watched them. So this was my first time watching Fistful of Dollars, to be quite honest. Now, after watching it, and as you mentioned, because so much of what came from this movie is then used in other films, like I knew a lot of the things that were happening and there have been select scenes that I have seen before, but this really is from beginning to end the first time I've seen a spaghetti Western. I had seen some older John Wayne movies when I was a little bit younger, um, like Rio Bravo and a couple others, True Grit, the original one and the one with Jeff Bridges. Um, but this was really my first time seeing Clint Eastwood uh, in a Western. So, I agree. Same here. I mean, I, I mean, I saw um, um, Unforgiven. Yeah. Uh, but that's more modern. It's much more modern. Yeah, I think that was like 92 and, and yeah. whatnot. Uh, but this is the first time I remembered seeing... This is the first time I had seen Fistful of Dollars, the first time I'd seen Spaghetti Western, and the first time I'd seen Clint Eastwood look young. Yeah. I mean, he, and granted, he still looked leathery as hell. Yeah. But, you know, he, he, I get now, like an actor like Timothy Oliphant in Justified and Deadwood, Mm -hmm. he's just Clint Eastwood. That's who he is. He's not, he's Timothy Oliphant, but he's Clint Eastwood. That's basically who he's playing. For sure. Um, And and you see that in a a lot of different films. Uh, Kurt Russell in any Mm -hmm. number of his movies is basically just Clint Eastwood. All of these guys, all of these modern actors are just Clint Eastwood. He is the archetype of so many American action stars. Mm-hmm. And this is the film that you really see where all that stuff comes from. Yeah, because I know he did, I think he was on a TV show in the 60s. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I feel like it was a Western TV show, but I'm not not for sure on that actually. I don't know. And, and the show was done, and w- whatever impact it, it had on Sergio Leone, um, like that's what got him into this role to be this character. Well, uh, he was not the first choice by any stretch of the imagination. No, he was not. He was, um, so it was like Henry Fonda mm-hmm. was offered the role. He turned it down. James Coburn, Charles Bronson, Richard Harrison, um, they all they all turned it down, and and. and Eric Fleming, who was in Rawhide, mm-hmm. his co- he suggested his co-star Clint Eastwood be in the film. That was it. Was Rawhide it was, was Rawhide. the TV show yep. that he was in, and which uh, is a western, right? And that's what kicked everything off for the Spaghetti Westerns. Is it was Clint Eastwood was just a co-star of some TV show, and and they casted him because they didn't have anybody else. Well, and and not only because of that, but they were so expensive. I mean, you yeah, mentioned... James Coburn was way out of their price range. Right, barely. you mentioned well-established actors with Henry Fonda and others. And Clint Eastwood, do you know how much he did this movie for? I don't, actually. He did it for $15,000. Wow. that's and, and six weeks vacation in Spain. That's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, granted, the budget on this is very small. Very small. Which surprises me considering there's three different countries backing it. Mm-hmm. I was surprised when you said that on the top at the top of the show 
because I had seen, I saw what the budget was. Yeah. You know, max $225,000. $225, so the fact that there were three studios backing it, three countries backing it, and that was the amount of money they used, granted it was the 60s, um, but that well, doesn't seem like a lot. Well, and Hollywood's not a part of this at all. So do no. you know why they call it a spaghetti western? Uh, I vaguely do, but go ahead. It's because of Italy. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so it is, you know, spaghetti, the, the Italian dish. They're the ones that they, so from, from what I had, there was, um, sorry, I need to go back. The commentary on this film, I highly recommend. I don't know whether or not you enjoyed the film or not. We'll get there later. But there was a fantastic, one of the best commentaries I've actually ever listened to. It is from Sir Christopher Fraying, and he is, um, he's a British critic and almost historian, I would say. He had so much information to talk about the Spaghetti Westerns and where they came from and all of these different things. And it was just interesting because he talked about how in Europe, Westerns were huge when it was starting to fade away in the United States. So as a pop quiz, um, I do have a, a quick one here for you pop based, quiz, hot shot. based on Westerns. Okay. So Westerns in the 1930s made up a third of all movies made in Hollywood. Okay. Okay. And by the late 50s, they really start to dwindle down. And then it's these Europeans that want to continue and embrace the Western idea. In terms of just spaghetti westerns, so movies made in Europe, mainly in Italy, how many spaghetti westerns do you think were made in the 60s and 70s? If you had to guess. I'm, um, dozen? 600. 600. They made 600? 600 spaghetti westerns were made in the 60s and 70s. So there is a huge market in Europe for Western movies. And our, our director, Sergio Leone, um, him along with all these other people loved the, the tales of Westerns that were being told in the 30s and 40s because it was an escape for them during during the wars that were going on in that era. And the fact that life was, was pretty miserable in Europe during that time. And so people flocked to, to go see these Western movies. And then Hollywood got kind of stagnant and like you mentioned like you said that you know you found westerns boring so did uh european audiences in the 1950s and so sergio leone wanted to bring back like that gritty dirty style of western that he remembers seeing in the in the 30s and 40s and that's what kind of springs up the spaghetti western so he is he is going back into the the early era of of movie making with westerns and that's what he's trying to bring back into these films but isn't this a, a remake of it is a, a remake a of japanese a japanese film. film which is also like the, the 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 global piece to this film i think is really fascinating because you're talking about a movie that is headlined by an american that becomes an american star with clint eastwood it's a movie that's backed by italians spanish and, and west germany there's an Austrian actor in there, too, that I'll talk about later. But then the film itself is coming from a Japanese film that was made two years ago. It's, two it's years prior. Two years prior, sorry. Yeah, and it's considered one of the all-time classic films. Yeah, it was a world. samurai movie. Yeah, called Yojimbo by Akira Kurosawa. Yep. 
so it's just it's so neat that that's that all of this kind of plays into itself and it's actually it's because of that movie uh yojimbo that that there's a three-year um break before the movie is allowed to be aired in the united states because uh sergio leone actually didn't get the rights to the film and he made the movie anyway and so they had to settle out of court in order to to do showings in the united states it took three years for them to finally make an agreement with um the japanese writer to to have this movie air in the u.s hmm, that's interesting i had no idea on that yeah so that is roughly a little bit of what we have going on here with um what the spaghetti westerns are and, and whatnot so sergio leone is our director he is the leader of the spaghetti western movement he directed this you know i mentioned already how he felt like um the westerns of the 1950s were getting boring and stagnant hollywood was already pulling away from it there were 150 westerns which made up 35 percent in 1950 and then by 1962 there were only 15 western movies made which is only nine percent um as i mentioned too like he knew that there was still that love for them in europe he just wanted to go back to the basics and to the old way of of telling these western stories um I think another really interesting part that I really liked about the movie and particularly how Leone does this is the character of the man with no name. Cause to me, he is, he is a total classic example of an anti-hero. Do you agree? He's just a con man. Well, he's you not, can he's, say that he's just a con man. It's basically what he is. He's not, He's not being heroic. He is just in it for himself to get literally a fistful of dollars from, you know, scamming these two rival clans. Yeah. I mean, he does have a little bit of humanity, you know, because he lets sure. the, the, the woman go back to his family. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, he he just isn't that he's not a likable character in any way, shape, or form. But he is our main character, and I would say that for 1964, are there a lot of movies before that time that you have someone act that way as, as a protagonist, as a main character? In an American film? Not that I know of. Yeah. So, I don't know. I find that really interesting. No, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. Um, it, it's, it's, it's certainly not indicative of what they would normally make then. Yeah, and it, it's interesting, too, that you're talking about the era of the 1960s where there's a lot of you know morality issues going on a lot of changes going on in our country and this is a movie that is saying how there's no law and order morality is out the door i mean there's a lot of nasty things that go on in this film that are happening and it, it's such a different tone from movies that you see beforehand that you see with this movie so i don't know i think that it really does set up a lot of interesting things that happen later on in, in filmmaking in general so um, we mentioned how this was the first of three movies. This movie was originally called The Magnificent Stranger before. And so, I, I don't know, we keep talking about it, but maybe we should mention it. I mean, the reason why we keep saying that this is the man with no name is because literally this character of Clint Eastwood does not have a name. Yeah, you're right. At one point, I thought I heard they called him John. I don't think so. I, don't know. I, I mean, clearly not. <laughs> well, yeah, but what I, what I heard is you, clearly not correct. But do you remember like what scene it was? I'm just curious. It was it was the old was... it was the old man was talking to him. Okay, and uh, was telling him to. 
I don't remember exactly what he was telling him, but it was it was about not going someplace. Salvanito, I think, was his yeah, name. The innkeeper guy. Yeah, the innkeeper guy. Okay. Hmm, I, I thought know. he called him John. He he, he may not have. Okay. He never he never introduced himself. No. no one ever. I never heard another name from him at all. No, they use names like the Stranger, the Americano, or Gringo. Yeah. I think. Gringo, yeah. Yeah, but they're you know, and and I guess in all three movies. You know, he has no name, and that's that's actually how they marketed the films in the United States. Is you know, the Man with No Name trilogy, is what these were. So, anyway, that's kind of what we have going on there. Um, next thing I want to bring up is the music, because just you know, westerns already have iconic music, and this definitely takes on a new a new role in it. Um, the, the Western music, maybe like a camp town races, you know, very kind of maybe patriotic in a way. Um, lots of classical elements to it is the stuff that you would see in the forties and the fifties. But the, the music that we see with the spaghetti Western takes on a whole different tone. So we're dealing with, um, very limited, you know, not a whole lot of instrumentation, instrumentation at all. You know, we have a whistle, we have a flute, we have some guitar, and, you know, mariachi band shows up at the end, and that's that's really about it. But this is still just another such iconic music that we see yeah. and, and people have emulated. So we do have the theme here for you. So you can hear the gunshots going on because LPJ is actually showing or is playing the the original part, you know, that you see when you start watching the movie. And I'm actually happy you did that because from that Sir Christopher Frailing um, commentary, he mentions that Sergio Leone was impacted by a film franchise that's only a couple years old. Um, by the time he starts working on this movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do not. Based on how you saw that opening with the colors and the shadows of people and all that, doesn't seem familiar James at all. James Bond, maybe? Yeah, it's James Bond. Leon loved James Bond. He realized that those movies were huge. They were big. They were bringing in new audiences into the movies. And so he created the, the Spaghetti Western trilogy to be like James Bond that Clint Eastwood was his version of James Bond. So with the instrumentation, you know, the James Bond theme is a guitar. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got guitar playing throughout here as well. So, you know, that is all done intentionally. It was almost like the phrase that he used was this was a rock and roll Western is what he was trying to go for here, that he was using the influences of like Andy Warhol, who was big in this you know period of time and whatnot too, with that use of color, with the, you know, like that's that's like an intro to a Bond movie. Absolutely. Is, is what we yeah, were watching it definitely there. is. So he was going for 
I want to get the Bond audiences to now watch these westerns. So it's it's neat. That's what he was going for there. And then yeah, I mean those sounds are just so so iconic to what we see. The theme itself is actually based off of a Woody Guthrie song. So Woody Guthrie is is a famous folk singer songwriter, and the song that he that he did was Pastures of Plenty. And as the story goes, is when the um, I'm blanking on the name of the guy that actually wrote the score for Fistful of Dollars. Ennio Morricone. Thank you. Maybe the most famous composer of all time. I know it. I just blanked on it. All right. He was playing this Woody Guthrie song to Sergio Leone and said, "What do you think of this?" And he's like, "You take out the vocals, and this is great. This is exactly what I want." So here is that song, and let's see if you can kind of see where he was coming from here. Mighty hard road that my poor hand is holding. My poor feet has traveled a hot, dusty road. Out of your dust bowl and westward we rolled, and your desert was hot and your mountains was cold. It's there. But it's hard to, to necessarily find it. I don't think it's hard to find at all. It's that guitar. Okay. It's the guitar is absolutely one hundred percent there. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And even the the whistling part, the da 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 da, like that is what he's it's ultimately saying. Yes, yeah. his vocal. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah, and and Ennio Morricone, we do need to talk about him because he is hugely influential, not only in the spaghetti westerns with fistful of dollars good the bad and the ugly once upon a time in the west but um he's done kind of everything he wrote the soundtrack to exorcist 2 the thing the mission untouchables disclosure just recently the hateful eight with quentin tarantino Mm -hmm. um he's still one of the most prolific film composers and composers in general of of all time yeah which bring up Tarantino as well. Obviously, he is so influenced by these spaghetti westerns. Almost every single one of his movies has something that's relating to these. Absolutely. And absolutely. he's become more direct with Hateful Eight and Django Unchained following that more western feel. But mm-hmm. even a movie like Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown and whatnot are, have so many elements to what we see here. Um, including, you know, the famous Mexican, you know, showdown that yeah. we talked about John Woo has such an influence on. You know, was was so much influenced on as well from these movies. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know if I really want to go through the the cast necessarily. No, I don't think we need to. Um, you know, I'll just say that the the girl Marisol was West German actually, so that's where we kind of get that element from. Um, Jose Calvo, which is uh, Salvin- Salvinito, he's actually Spanish. And then Gian Maria Valani is Ramon Rojo, who is you know the antagonist here. Um, he's an, he is Italian and what's interesting about that is he was a hardcore like leftist liberal and he was very open about his opinions of things and whatnot 
And where is he shooting this film? In right-wing dictatorship military of Francisco Franco. So he had to like keep his mouth shut while he was there during the filming because he could have found his ass in jail and possibly even executed for his beliefs and what he was That's doing. Funny. And uh, he was actually trained as a Shakespearean actor, which there's actually a lot of Shakespeare elements that Sergio Leone uses throughout the film, which I'll get to in a little bit too. So this movie obviously makes him an, a huge star. I think he's in Fist, or not Fistful, that, that's the movie we're doing, for a few dollars more. I think he's also the antagonist in that one. I don't know. You're giving I've me never a look. Se- I've never seen it. I don't know. I, that's true. I, I have not either. I've been told that he's in one of the other, one of the trilogies. Okay. Obviously, he's a different character. Well, yeah, but, he would have to be. Yeah, so. And then the coffin maker, who is the other big actor here, is, is Joseph Egger, and he's Austrian. So, I mean, they're pulling different people from all over the place, which I'm sure you noticed LPJ like there's there's obviously like what's what i'm looking for everything is is done in post-production in terms of the audio the audio yeah yeah everything's dubbed there's no doubt about it everything was dubbed obviously clint eastwood dubbed his own voice Mm -hmm. and i don't know if there were the other characters their voices yeah they're all dubbed as well from from other people from other people Uh okay that makes sense yeah so and i guess when they filmed it they were silent so they were just miming it Oh, okay. So, because I think it was, I think we've talked about it with some of the the Hong Kong movies. They'll actually speak it in their in their, in their native, native tongue. tongue. Yeah, and then but, just redub them. But here, uh, Leone actually just had them like mime what they were doing, which is why some of them seem really off to to what we were doing. But sure. Anyway, all right. Let's go ahead and get through this film. We I I've talked a lot about leading up to it. It's probably time that we actually get to it here. Um, in the shooting script, which we actually don't see in the movie. Um, it, it starts with a map of the Rio Grande, um, which is Rio Bravo uh, to, to the Spanish or Mexicans. And uh, the movie is supposed to take place around 1872 in New Mexico territory. So we're talking north of the Rio Grande. Um, and how it was supposed to be was the man with no name, Clint Eastwood, which I think I'm just going to start. I'm just going to stick with Eastwood. Yeah, that's one way to talk about him. Um, he is a Confederate soldier. So the original idea was that he was in his Confederate attire. Um, and what was supposed to happen was there was supposed to be a Mexican bathing in the river and he kind of took his poncho and kind of put that on him. And that poncho is so iconic. Um, you know, any image of, of Eastwood in these movies is always him wearing that. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's where he was supposed to get it. Um, I think it's kind of weird though. Like the civil war ended in ni- in 1865 and it said the movie was supposed to start in 1872. So why is he running around in a Confederate outfit? I don't know. But even in the movie too, you've got like union soldiers carrying that gold, which I don't know why they're doing that either. If the war's over. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, something lost in translation. Well, right. I mean, you're, you know, I'm sure the Italians weren't too intense no, on their I'm sure they didn't care on their American history clearly not but nonetheless that was that was kind of the there case was no there. Wikipedia then no there was not so the idea is that instead when this movie starts it is Eastwood on his mule with the poncho drinking from the little ladle getting his uh, water from the well which that shows me like how easily cholera spread you know cholera yeah okay Right? Like, anyone could be using that ladle and drinking from it. Sure, anyone can use a drinking fountain now. I know, but you're not putting your lips on the fountain. Well, some people do some put their, people lips, do on put the their lips on the fountain. Some people do put their lips on the fountain is the problem. <laughs> That's true. So, anyway, I was just... Okay, fine. Anyway. So, 
You're giving me a weird look. No, just please continue. Well, okay, okay. I'm just making. You've been awfully quiet. Because you're doing a good job. Okay. I, I feel like I'm talking too much, but so he's drinking from the well. All right, all right. So he's drinking from the well. He immediately we know he's an anti-hero because he is observing a situation where one of these clans. I don't. That's not the right word. Gangs. Gangs. I'll go with that one. Uh, one of these gang members is beating up this guy and takes the wife, right? And he doesn't do anything about it. He's sitting there sipping his water, seeing what's going on. The wife gets pretty much kidnapped, I would say, and and off they go, and then he finds himself into town, right? So he's in town, and it is the innkeeper, I keep forgetting his name, Salvinito, um, that kind of is letting him know about the situation, so he's saying, you know, ultimately, this town is pretty empty. It's been going back and forth between these two rival gangs. It is the the Rojos, and it is the, oh, uh, starts with a B. Why am I blanking on the name? Banditos? No, the Baxters. Baxters. Thank you. And the Baxters are the ones that run the alcohol? The, and the Rojos run the guns? Well, the back, yeah. And then the Baxters, uh, the head Baxter is, a sh- is the sheriff of the town, technically. Yeah. He's just super corrupt. Right. And so, as we mentioned earlier, like Eastwood is just looking for work. So he pretty much pawns himself off of the two different gangs doing different things. So he's greeted with a pretty not great welcome. The Baxters are kind of teasing him and like shooting at him and whatnot as he strolls in with his mule. And so he decides to go first to the Rojos and, you know, wants money, fistful of dollars, right? And so we, we start to see his skills when he finally goes back up to those four Baxters that were shooting at him. And that's the first time you get that Mexican standoff in the film. They're kind of eyeing each other back and forth and they're having a conversation. And to, to bring off of this real quick, so this was something that was unique to Sergio Leone in the spaghetti westerns. Mexican standoffs always happen in westerns, but they were very quick to happen. So it would usually be like 10 seconds and the shooting would happen and it'd be done. Leone wanted way more of like a thrill. More anticipation. More anticipation. Yeah. And so it gets way more drawn out. So Eastwood is, is ultimately like confronting these guys, talking to them. I don't remember all the dialogue, but he's, he's ultimately It's about chal- apologizing to his mule. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's being pretty hard ass. And then when it's finally time to do it, you know, guns blazing, he's got the fastest fastest gun in the west apparently because yeah. he takes down all four before they even shoot a bullet yep so you he, he gets this reputation immediately that he is he's a big deal so that's that's kind of our introduction to how this film starts and, and to be completely honest it's it's him going back and forth um doing these different things trying to get himself access to money yeah. just playing both sides basically he's, yeah he's like i said he's a con man yeah, he's basically just trying to play both sides against each other to get as much money as he can out of each, out of each of them equally. Yeah, he's fascinated with the leader of the Rojos. His name is Ramon. Um, he ends up meeting him eventually, but the first time he really gets to see him is when Ramon shoots down an entire Union army that brought in something in a wagon that we find out later is money, and you know that that's where we start to get you know, this antagonist that, that he's trying to, to compete with and, and ultimately have this final battle with. And where we start to see maybe a little bit of humanity, which is kind of where the movie takes the turn, is he stages this, I don't know, operation, I guess. He stages a scenario 
because he hears that the Rojos are actually willing to make peace now with the Baxters. He doesn't want that because he wants to continue to make money working for both sides. So he takes two of the dead Union soldiers, like from their what the from the beach from yeah well from the casket. He takes them from the casket. They were like in. I mean, they were on the. Were they on the bed? No, they were on the beach, and he he had the he had the mortician, the 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 casket maker, mm-hmm. drive down there with him so that he could put two of the guys in That's the caskets right. and transport them to the to the cemetery. To the cemetery, and so he was playing off of this, telling the Baxters, "Hey, there's two Union soldiers alive that have information that can put the Rojos away." Then he goes right to the Rojos and says, "Hey, there's two guys down there that can tell the Baxters all that you're up to." And so they have this big, you know, shooting frenzy in the in the cemetery. The Rojos steal Baxter's son. Meanwhile, Eastwood is robbing the Rojos while they're gone, and he accidentally knocks out um, the girl that was st- that was taken in the beginning of the film. And so he gives her to the Baxters so that there can be like this prisoner type exchange. And so that's where the family of the girl kind of gets in the middle of the action. He finds out from the innkeeper, you know, Ramon, even though he's keeping this girl hostage, you know, he banished the husband because he said that he was cheating, you know, on a card gambling game, but that wasn't true. And that's where Eastwood kind of gets the kind heart that, you know what, I'm going to let this woman go. And that's where things take a really bad turn. Well, I don't even think it's it's him having a kind heart. I think he just wants to flip the bird to the rojos in a in a uh, in a very subversive way. I think he's just trying to needle them some more. I don't know. He gives money to the family so they well, can make yeah. an escape. And that part, yeah. But I, I think he's doing it maybe equally to set her free, but also to uh, to really stick it to him because yeah. he's just trying to be a dick to both sides. That's true. The operation goes quite poorly. So, you know, he, he does this by escaping in the middle of the night and, and doing all this and killing all the people that were holding her hostage on his way back to where he was staying, which he was staying with the Rojos because they were, you know, he was ultimately working for them. They, they kind of get after him in his bedroom. They beat him up. They interrogate him, trying to find out where is the girl, where is the girl. He doesn't say anything. He escapes. They then assume that it is the Baxters that have her. And they blow up the Baxter's place, shoot everyone, including the son and the wife and everybody. Like the Rojos go nuts well, and my take everybody is, out. There's like 50 people that die in that and, scene. And they keep walking out the front door. Like, why not <laughs> go out too. the back door? I don't know. And how and how could they stay in the house that long that was clearly on fire without like dying either, like with the asphyxiation or whatever? Well, it wouldn't matter. They all die anyway. That is very true. And so from being interrogated and beaten up and all that he watches all of this happen and does nothing he well, kind of he, he runs he can, away he can barely move yeah i mean he got the shit kicked out of him he did i mean he, he's able to move to escape well but then he doesn't help no he, he, he's able to move far enough to crawl into a casket and have um the casket maker drive him to like an abandoned mine or whatever wherever it is he's staying at yeah i thought that was a mine and so finally you know they go after the innkeeper and they are trying to beat him in a submission to find out where is this girl and this is where we have probably no, they're trying to find eastwood oh that's right they're trying to find eastwood at this point and this is where we have probably one of the most famous scenes in all of cinema i would say yeah i, I don't think that's uh 
No, oh, I think oh, it's been imitated. I think it's an exaggeration, times. right? Yeah. So it is. He he sets off these explosions. There's all this dust. The dust clears, and there he is, the man with no name. You know, he's ready for this final showdown in the town, right in the middle of it. Um, Ramon shoots him several times with his rifle. In the chest. In the chest. He gets back up. He keeps telling him, keep hitting me, aim for the heart type of deal. And then after six or seven shots, boom, he shows from the poncho. He's got on this bulletproof vest that he made. Well, it's like a piece of, uh, he, he found a, a like a water heater or whatever, like a boiler or something. Yeah. Was able to cut part of it out and, and, and hide it under his poncho and um, waited for, for uh, Ramon to be out of shots. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, so Ramon's like, I keep shooting this guy, and he keeps coming back to life. He keeps coming back to life. And yeah. and his gang around him is all, like, their mouth agape, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how is he still alive. Uh, like, he's some kind of some kind of god brought back to life. It, it's all very, um, it's very cool. It's just kind of neat the it way is, it unfolds. And again, it, this is also where the music takes on such a huge role. Cause, sure. Because, you know, the music is playing a type of sounds yeah as, as this and, is all and, going and kettle, back and it's forth basically back like and a forth. little bit of whistle and like a kettle drum like mm-hmm. which which definitely is just you know makes them this this the most suspense suspenseful suspenseful part of of this film overall yeah so he takes out his his ramones four guys again with the quick draw and then the final showdown he throws his pistol down and he's like let's do this like men first one to, to jump after their weapon load it and shoot is is the winner here and and ultimately eastwood gets it done saves salvatore from being tied up to the ropes and adios which i think he literally says and off he goes into the sunset yeah pretty much and we're done so we've gone through the film we've talked about the significance of this film we've gone over it all but the thing that we haven't talked about yet is do you like the film I'm going to start. I'm going to let you go first, LPJ, because I, I need a break. I've been talking a lot. No, I got gotcha. you. Um, because that deep sigh tells me maybe not. I don't know that I didn't like the film. I know it was a harder watch for me than a lot of the films that we've seen. Um, not as hard of a watch as it was watching uh, Black Hawk Down. <laughs> um, but this was. It was. It was. It wasn't as difficult a watch for me because I appreciated what came after this film mm-hmm. like i appreciated the 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 cultural significance of this film i mean you look at a film like you look at like a movie like uh like you said back to the future three which basically rips off the entire ending of the movie mm-hmm. um right down to the bulletproof uh vest the bulletproof like uh iron underneath his underneath his poncho um and i really understood the that the clint eastwood's hero that archetype for a hero was created in this film mm-hmm. and it's been carried out through you know it's, it's han solo it's indiana jones it's you know it's 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 um uh uh, uh, uh star lord you know it's it's all of these yeah. all of these characters are essentially the man with no name yeah um so i appreciated that portion of it and and parts of it were very entertaining like clint eastwood is he's really really good in this you think so? I do. I do because um, he created that character type. I mean, who there are who before him was that smug, cocky, self-assured, you know, hero, anti-hero. I agree with you. Like he created that role. I didn't like him particularly in it. 
he he was very like like he talked like this the entire time and like didn't have any like increase or decrease in his voice like this was how he was throughout the entire film but that's that's the character that's the choice he made as the character i know i i just didn't care for it okay so to to be honest I fell asleep watching this movie. Did you really? <laughs> I, I was watching this pretty late at night, and I did not fall asleep. I, I fell asleep. I, I was watching it, and it was also late at night after the family was in bed, and I think it was around the scene where he was trying to set up the plan with yeah. uh, the cemetery, and I fell asleep for a solid 20 minutes, and when I woke up, I'm like, well, I'm going to have to start this next tomorrow, and... Um, I really, really wanted to love this movie Mm -hmm. because of all of those things that you talked about and that it is so important to so much of how movies have been done since. Um, I don't know. I, I liked it, but I, I didn't love it. I didn't, I didn't get the feeling of it that I was hoping to. And maybe the other two were better. I mean, I feel like the good, the bad and the ugly seems like the more popular of the three movies. Maybe I just, based on title alone i don't know but you know i it 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 has it has intrigued my curiosity enough that i would like to watch the other two i'll say the same thing yeah i definitely want to watch the other two um i don't know if i'll ever get around to it anytime soon but <laughs> no i don't know either but but you know and and i i um i don't generally like westerns mm-hmm. and i get after watching this movie why i don't generally like westerns but there's enough in this that intrigues me to want to go seek out the other two movies just to sort of see. Just to kind of maybe this is like the beginning of what eventually the the Spaghetti Western turns into. You, you brought up an, an interesting point earlier, and that was that your dad and was it your uncle, you know, loved Westerns. Yeah. I think that's why I also want to try and get into these because I think it's our parents' generation that these movies had really big impacts on them. Like I my agree. father-in-law loves Westerns and, and any type of them. He loved John Wayne movies, Bonanza, the Clint Eastwood things. And, and I, I find myself pretty close to my father-in-law. And so like, you know, I kind of wanted to watch this a little bit for him, you know, to kind of see like how, how, you know, be able to have a conversation with him about how he felt about it. And I don't know the last time he's actually seen the film or not, but I feel like, you know, like maybe this is a generational thing that, you know that age was really into the western theme and and maybe with us not quite the same but but i would still argue that based on my childhood and and being aware of the western culture of things you know even a show today like westworld that is that sci-fi western feel like i love that show like i find it absolutely fantastic like there's still that intrigue that i have of how westerns play out which you know i hope will make me want to keep watching some of these yeah i agree and and, well i think the west the western genre in the 50s is the star wars genre of the 80s Mm. um i think generationally it's Mm -hmm. just and and ultimately star wars is basically a western too yeah absolutely uh so i i just think it's an updated version of a western the 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 i don't know just the Western is, and the Western isn't even like its own genre. The Western <laughs> is like a retelling of Greek tales. 
Yeah, that's true you too. Know? So I, I don't know that necess- I think maybe just the way the the films were made then mm-hmm. doesn't draw us in as much as something that has a more visual impact like a Star Wars or or later on like a like a Matrix even. And so maybe it's like repetition of plot or repetition of how we expect movies to go that maybe like I could see how this movie was probably super revolutionary at the time it came out, but like you said like these things have been so overdone that maybe that's why we also felt kind of like, eh, by the time it came to actually watching the original that set it all up. Everything, everything is cyclical. Yeah. You know, what's old is new again. I mean, look at all the remakes they're making now mm-hmm. of everything. Um, yeah, I think ultimately, maybe there aren't really genres of films. There's just stories that are told from different lenses and different perspectives, but ultimately they're the same story. And I think that's what draws people to things like specific specific lenses like why people like westerns is they like the lens but that story is really universal or they like sci-fi sci-fi films like star wars the story is universal but it's just told from a different perspective um i don't know i again the the western lens not my favorite Mm -hmm. um but I, i i certainly found this movie enjoyable and i appreciated it if anything i appreciated it more than i enjoyed it okay fair enough Ready to give this a rating? Yeah, we might as well. You know, we've gone this far. All right. So, do you want to go first or second? Uh, I'll go first. I don't okay. care. I'm. I want to give this a higher rating, but I think I want to give it a higher rating because of its impact and influence. Okay. So, I'm not going to fully do it that way. I think I'm going to give it a. Th- three out of five okay. machine guns and and i'm i'm giving it the three because there were scenes of it that that were pretty high suspenseful i, I liked the music um you know i thought it was a neat enough storyline how he's playing both sides the anti-hero type of deal i liked all of that i did find it like i like i mentioned i did fall asleep on it the first time um i think i wanted more out of it than what i got so i'm, I'm gonna leave it at three I absolutely agree. I'm also going to rank this a three. Um, it's not what I expected by any means. I didn't expect it to basically be a con man rolls into town and plays two sides, two two plays, plays two factions off of each other. Mm-hmm. It is not what I thought this movie was. Um, I thought it was going to be kind of like bank robbery type deal, maybe, or I thought there was going to be like maybe like natives involved in some way. I thought it was going to be a lot more hero versus bad guy yeah. i didn't think it was going to be clint eastwood in the middle playing off two bad guy factions but it's still not really a good guy i didn't didn't think about the i didn't even it didn't even fathom it could be an anti-hero mm-hmm. I, I thought it was just like a you know like a like a classic comes cowboy. to the town and saves the day right yeah that's that's what i expected and it was not what i expected yeah um but yeah but there's enough in this for me to appreciate it and uh, and to understand its cultural uh, significance, so it's definitely a three. And I think people should see it. Yeah, but that, don't that, expect it to be. Don't expect it to to you know knock you off your feet. That's what I was gonna say as well. That if if you are into films in general and and you've enjoyed the podcast and whatnot, I do recommend that if you haven't seen it, that you do see it. Um, and I would be curious too that for any of our people that have watched this a long time ago. To, I'd even encourage you to rewatch it because I'd be curious if you have any different feelings on it uh, today, based on maybe some of the things we said or, or anything else in general. So, yeah, 
All right. All right. I think this is in the books, huh? I think this one's in the books. Good film. More appreciated than enjoyed. All right. So let's do the business here. Gamezilla Media is what we are a part of, and we very much appreciate all of the support that you give us and all the other podcasts that Gamezilla Media provides. And speaking of them, we do have our flagship, which is Gamezilla Podcast, which goes live on Twitch on Monday nights. And if you happen to miss that, you can listen to it uh, Tuesday mornings. They also have Gamezilla Alpha, which will focus on particular topics within the modern gaming arena that's going on here. We have The Legend of Retro, which is another gaming podcast that is looking at old video games, which they go all the way from... You know, one thing I've noticed about Legend of Retro, do they do movies? Do they do video games like Atari? They haven't yet. They haven't yet. I, I got a feeling. I've uh, noticed that they do like a lot of Nintendo and Super Nintendo and N64 well, and all that. It's everything up to um, like PlayStation, PlayStation 3, I think is where the cutoff is, okay. and Xbox uh, 360. Gotcha. But or yeah. Xbox, maybe. I mean, it might be just because the Atari games are so basic. I don't know. I just I, something that I noticed. Nonetheless, it is well, a fantastic show, though. So Glitch is coming on board in a little bit, and uh, he's. Uh, I, I got a feeling he's going to bring some some dusty gems out. Sweet. And then we have Noobs and Dragons, which is our Dungeons and Dragons podcast that continues to. They bring have to me keep in. extending it. The, the The campaign is going way longer than they expected. And they have to keep so expending good. it, extending it. And it's really good. It's fantastic. I love it. Yep. Uh, and then we also provide a lot of other things, too. So we have bloggers out there that pretty much every day uh, you can read a new blog. I've been doing a couple. Your blogs um, are pretty okay. Okay, thanks. Uh, we do have some game streamers that you can follow and, and watch on Twitch. We have a long player, Craig WK, that does a bunch of games from beginning to end, all that fun stuff. What, am I missing anything? I feel like I probably am. Yeah, check us out on Facebook. Check oh. us out on, on Instagram, on Twitter. Like us. Go to wherever you listen to podcasts. Give us a thumbs up or like. We would appreciate that. Interact with us on the Discord and uh, visit us on Patreon because we love patrons. Yes, we do. I said it correctly this time. You sure did. Yep, and you know what? I think we need to leave it there because I just said it correctly and it's not going to happen again. Uh, so this episode of the Last Action Podcast has been terminated. But we'll be back.